Welcome to Side Talks. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I throw you? You know I do this every time. You throw me the song and I don't pick it up. The last 10 times I've I've just been singing right into the podcast. So I'm Rachel Morgan and this is Side Talks. I'm trying to be very serious because Corey doesn't respond to um, all the fun and frivolity that I bring. And I'm Corey Kraft. I am uh, anti-fun and frivolity. Uh, thank you for listening to Side Talks, uh, our uh, podcast about all things cinema. Which is a very serious podcast because cinema is very, very serious. As we all know. So let's talk about some serious things. Here we go. Get ready for a five-minute fight. Five-minute round one fight. fight. Hey, guess what it's time for? It's time for a five-minute fight. Five-minute fight. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Start the timer. What little bitch are we talking about today? (laughs) The little (laughs) bitch in particular we are talking about today is very popular young actor Timothy Chalamet, uh, recipient of a Best Actor Academy Award nomination in 2017 for Call Me By Your Name and beloved internet boyfriend of teens everywhere, (laughs) Rachel. What? He's a when, talented listen, actor. No, he's not. Yes, when they he come is. for me, when they come for me, I want you to know, little Tumblr folks, young youngins, when you come for blood from me, I want you to know this. I'm a Swifty and yeah. I've got the Swifties on my it side. It cancels out. It cancels it, out. Exactly. So you when they try to scratch down my face, I'm gonna scratch down. Taylor there. Swift and you get minus one million e- e- points e- e. for your anti Chalamet take. Let me tell you about him. Tell me about okay. him. Okay. He's a rich brat. Grew up in Manhattan, like a little asshole, and he has, like, I mean, everything was handed to him. He has dancer mom, real estate dad, like, the whole deal, right? Or vice versa. I don't actually know which one it is. I think I made a sexist assumption, and I apologize for that, but fuck, I don't care. So anyway, because I hate this kid's hair so much. So anyway, his, his, his... Script writing, grandparents, the whole thing. He, his. I like to refer to him as um, as Lourdes Ciccone's ex boyfriend. I don't know what that means. Well, that would be Madonna's daughter. That was his first girlfriend. When your first girlfriend is Madonna's daughter, you're a dick. Well, he went to the performing arts high school. You're still a dick. All yeah, you're a dick. And so his hair is. Everything feels like an acting prompt. I like how you're sitting back because you know that I'm going to lose regardless because little Timmy is everybody's favorite. Because he's a really good actor. He's not. not, Everything is an acting prompt. When has he been? He's too concerned about his own. Also, he looks like a death mask. He's too concerned about his own hair and face. On screen? Yes. He doesn't. I don't think he's worried about the performance. I think he just wants to be cute mm. all the time. And that little dance, that little jig he does in Little Women, like the whole thing, it's always just so ever, ever, ever so precious. And it feels like somebody's given him an acting prompt and he's just running with it and he's going to bring the tears and it feels like acting class 101. I disagree. I don't know. I think he's a really effective actor. I don't buy into the whole extra textual like off-screen crap. I don't I don't care who he dates. I don't care what his hair looks like. On screen, I think he's really effective. I have a two-prong method here. Okay. That two-prong method is he's an asshole in real life. But is he? And he's a bad actor. <laughs> I've never met him. I don't know him. I think he's a terrific actor. He seems like a jerk. He's so precious. He's so annoying. He's so irritating. The hair is just so, oh, so good all the time. So your basis for disliking Timothy Chalamet (laughs) seems to be 95% what's with the hair and 5% seriously, have you seen his hair? 
Yeah. What are you trying to say? I mean, yeah, the hair is good. I'm not just, I'm not, I'm not denying that. But when, when you're in Little Women and that's what's happening with the hair and it's just not even of the era and it's weird mm, and you're just no, like, I disagree. You're looking at the camera like, this is, wait, which is my better side? I look so cute right here. And it's not about the performance. It's about how precious, precious, precious no, you are. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, 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 no. No, his, his screen performances, the ones I've seen anyway. All the same. So, no, they're not either. Uh, Call Me By Your Name, he's excellent in. I mean, he, He's playing similar types across Call Me By Your Name, Beautiful Boy, Lady Bird, and same Little character. Women. Same character. So it was Not basically the same character. It's the same character in similar every film. Similar types. They're, they're always these, for lack of a better term, and I really apologize for using this, but this is what many of my students would have called him a couple years ago. He is playing a series of fuck boys across all four of these movies that does not necessarily mean he himself is a fuck boy i think he probably is a fuck boy if he is then at least he has found a way to play to his strengths on screen okay so you you're you're holding up the fact that he play that he is a fuck boy and he plays a good fuck boy he walked right off of the set he walked right off the set of beautiful boy and onto a set of little women with the same bullshit with the same no cute little face Cute little hair, well, stupid little crying. Face. Should he be penalized because he has a cute face? Well, I mean, here's the other thing: is it's like, at not least that he's cute. It looks, I said it looked like a death mask. It does. It I, looks like a death mask. Okay. I don't think he's that cute. He's not. He's not that precious. It's the same character. When we I say we talked up, about his performances. Yes, really. I am. I'm saying that. I'm saying that he has one performance. Pick one of those films. Pick one. No. That's it. No. No. Why no, do no. we put no, it's no, the no, same no, character, no. same character no over way. and over and over again? Absolutely not. I mean, I'll grant you that Laurie and Little Women and the character in Call Me By Your Name, Elio, are fairly similar in that they are both sort of lovelorn teens dealing with rejection. Sort yeah, of spoiler Yeah, I mean, alert. exactly. But and that's not necessarily... Uh, the 10 minutes he spent, spent in Lady Bird was the same character, too. Well, he's All definitely right. playing a fuckboy in Lady Bird, but that's oh to his God. credit because that movie, as you know, rules. Everybody hates me and I don't great. give a shit. Is that the title of your autobiography? It is. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say, like, 10 years ago, we had Michael Sarah playing these roles. This is an improvement. I like Michael Sarah. Look, a lot, I'm not going to, I don't like Michael Sarah either. I don't care about either one of these people. Is Michael Sarah a fuckboy? <laughs> I think he was a pretty good example of one in Scott Pilgrim, anyway. That oh, sounds man. like a question that should never be asked. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> the name of Sam's autobiography is Is Michael Sarah a fuckboy? <laughs> Subtitled, no. Um, okay, I like how Rachel just came out right out of the bat with, he grew up in Manhattan like a little asshole, um, and when your first girlfriend is Madonna's daughter, you're a dick, which sounds like maybe Rachel's a little jealous that her first girlfriend was not Madonna's daughter, as far as I know. Um, I'm 3,000 years old, and I'm jealous that my first girlfriend wasn't Madonna. And I was a huge fan of Corey's Bewildered, just... I disagree, um, and it's really about his performance. I think he's a wonderful performer and talented, and he also just happens to be super precious, and Rachel just can't get over that fact. And I'm just going to say everyone loses a ton of points for the sheer amount of times that the term fuckboy was said. Um <laughs> And Corey Fair. for sure gets like 500,000 points just because it's Timothy Chalamet. You can't take him down. He is precious and talented. Is he in your pocket right now, Sam? He is. He's whispering things in my ear. And he's so cute. Okay, that's it. And you know the hair is good, too. <laughs> he's like a Tamagotchi. Feed him. Feed, <laughs> feed him. <laughs> 
<laughs> Feed him the pills from Greta Gerwig's pocket. Oh, man. And now, a look at what we're watching this week. So, Rachel, what are you watching? Well, it has uh, been quite a week. I've seen a few things. Uh, I rewatched Punch, Punch Drunk Love. Cool. Um, what an excellent film. Yeah, I it's, don't, it's great. I mean, I think it's, you know, this is not obscure. I don't need to spend a lot of time on it, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's one of those really strangely sweet films that shouldn't be sweet, but it is. Um, and I just like everything about it. I think it's, it's a really brilliant work and it's, it's really darkly funny and, mm-hmm. and sometimes just straight up funny. And I just can't get, I, I will never get over how amazing the bathroom scene is. It's great. And uh, I like it. I, I feel like it's, um, it's just a, a wonderful, wonderful piece. And I will, I will use this, this moment to, to name drop, um, which I've, you know, I try, I, I try not to do in my life because it's such an asshole move, but I'm going to do it anyway. So and be jealous. Get ready to be jealous. Okay. Are you ready? Right. Um, so I, Punch Drunk Love was playing in New York when I lived in New York. And um, I was like, oh, it's playing at BAM and, and let's go let's go see it. So I went with my girlfriend at the time. We went up to, uh, to BAM and, and watched it. And then when it was over, I stayed, you know, and the credits were rolling. And of course, as a, as, as a good former film student does, I sat through the credits and then the lights came up and they said, oh, hey, everybody, we've got a special treat for you. Paul Thomas Anderson and Philip Seymour Hoffman have stopped in. They were in the neighborhood and they decided to stop. They saw the marquee <gasps> and decided to stop by. And um, Paul Thomas Anderson proceeded to do a uh, about a 45-minute to an hour Q&A afterwards just off the cuff. So um, no, I will have no greater cinematic experience of that film in my lifetime, but um, it, it, was, it was still wonderful to see it even outside of that. So. I'm extremely jealous of all <sighs> of that. I know. I know. I, uh, I I thought about being a real jerk during the Q&A and, and raising my hand and asking a question about Fiona Apple, and I didn't. So I spared myself of that embarrassment, and, um, and we can keep moving. So I have been gearing up to teach a class on Charlie Chaplin this semester, a little six-week course uh, that I'm kind of doing on the side uh, at the school where I teach. And um, part of that research has been watching and re-watching a lot of his stuff. Um, so one of the things I watched was a film I saw for the first time, one of his uh, sound films from 1947 uh, called Monsieur Verdot. Um, this, I think, is his second uh, dialogue-heavy feature following The Great Dictator and the first to be released – as Chaplin's star had already begun to fade in America, um, mostly because of his suspected communist leanings, but also because Chaplin, as you know, was fond of younger women um, and all three of his wives were teenagers when they were married, which is one of those things that you just kind of have to reckon with one way or another all of hollywood i mean so much of hollywood loves those younger women sure so chaplin um kind of on his uh back heel a little bit makes this film monsieur verdot um a dark comedy that had been proposed to him by orson wells uh wells was kicking around the idea of doing a story about a modern bluebeard and monsieur verdot um which chaplin eventually 
wrote, directed, and starred in, uh, tells the story of a man um, who seduces and marries a lot of uh, wealthy older widows, murders them, and takes all of their money to to provide for his actual family, his actual wife and children. And he portrays this character as a very gentle man forced by circumstance by this capitalistic society we live in uh, to – you know, resort to killing uh, to make a living. Um, so you can imagine that the film did not exactly quell criticisms of Chaplin, both that he was a communist and that he was also a misogynist. I mean, mm-hmm. it's pretty openly kind of, um, I mean, comically, but kind of openly, weirdly anti uh, these older women in particular, um, there aren't a whole lot of female characters who come across very well at all, in fact. Um, that said, I, I think the movie is pretty amazing, um, especially because it culminates in this blistering courtroom monologue for Chaplin that's among the more cynical things I've ever heard in a film where he just lays out, you know, the capitalist machine, you know, engages in war. And in warfare, when people kill each other, uh, you call them heroes. But I'm doing it just to make a living, and you know you're going to execute me. Well, you know, basically just gives them all the finger I, and and says, you know, this really chilling line. I guess I'll be seeing all of you very soon. And of course, movie goes on from there. It's a really excellent movie. It is much much bleaker and more cynical than I ever would have expected from Chaplin. And it's fascinating as a look into where his head was yeah. in 1947. Um, some unpleasant things to be found there for sure. But, um, you know, one of those great movies from, you know, somebody whose screen persona up to that point had been altogether cuddlier. This is certainly not cuddly. Yeah, I wonder what your students are going to think of this. I, I don't know. I don't think we're going to have time to watch the whole thing, but um, – I'm going to show them at least some clips from it. It's yeah. really, I mean, it's really just a, a really cool, just pitch dark movie mm-hmm. that reminded me a lot of the Ealing studio comedies like The Lady Killers and um, yeah. um, all those other Alec Guinness movies um, that are really, really dark. But those movies at least have a, a little bit of warmth to them, a little bit of um, optimism in the human condition. This movie has none of that. And it's yeah. pretty remarkable. Well, maybe eventually we'll get around to having a little bit of a sort of a Chaplin series at the cinema. That'd be kind of nice. Very into that idea. So that's what I've been watching. Awesome. And now it's time for Phone a Friend. This is a new segment of the podcast, um, one in which we do exactly what the title says, and that is Phone a Friend and ask them what they've been watching. Hello. Hey, bro, bro. It's Rachel and Corey. Hey. Well, you know what we're doing. We're calling you from the podcast room again, from Podcast Central. Okay, cool. So, podcast Central HQ. Exactly. So, what are you? What have you been watching? You know how this goes now. Well, um, actually, I thought I would give you a little bit of a a, a surprise today because um, I don't know. Historically, the last couple times you've spoken, I haven't maybe watched have the most sophisticated cinema. Um, you know, your Hallmark movies and, um, the chase and things like that. (laughs) So, um, I am here to tell you that I actually, uh, went a little fancier this week, a little schmancier. Um, (laughs) we finally saw Midsummer, 
uh, oh, last weekend. or as they say, Midsommar. Midsommar. I know. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, Midsommar. Um, so I finally saw that. And then on Wednesday, guess what? Uh, heavy hitter, I finally saw Parasite. Oh, my gosh. Two, you Excellent saw those. Excellent choices. Both of them. Both in one week. Both in one week. I know. And I mean, and like no other crappy movies the whole rest of the week. I mean, so I feel like um, I'm, I'm a little off kilter in terms of um, high art cinema. And I need to go back to the, to the wasteland. But shortly before I watched those, yeah. I did finally see party monster <laughs> so I, you know I, so obviously i uh can't go long without watching something terrible um so what? I, wait I, hold on sure. lisa hold on why yeah. the fuck did you go to party monster it, it, because it's okay, 2003 so, right yeah it's 2003 <laughs> it's culkin well, okay so uh, it's, all right, I remember seeing it in Hollywood video in 2003 and being with my friends, like, we're going to rent that. Yeah, we need to rent that. And then just we just didn't. And then years and years go by, things happen, and it's not a movie. You're sitting around and people are like, you know what I want to watch right now? Party Monster. Like, it just <laughs> didn't come up, you know? And so, I, I don't know. It's just one of these. It came to me, and I was like, you know, I would like to see that. I haven't seen that ever. I feel like I just, I just need to see the Macaulay Culkin experience. Uh, and Seth Green, and having known about that whole universe somewhat, you know, the Club Kids and seeing yeah. the Donahues and the, all the shows and things, and kind of having a, a relative uh, awareness of that universe, I mean, I think that they kind of portrayed it right, correctly, accurately enough, you know what wait I mean? Wait a minute, and wait a minute, wait a minute. So I mean, you like, feel like you've got the pulse on the Club Kids scene? <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> they... Like, when you go back and you watch, because after I watched it, of course, I spent um, another couple hours, like, watching old Maury's and Donahue's and all that, and just, like, revisiting all of that stuff that I had seen before. So, when you contrast them, yes, Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green were terrible, (laughs) but when you see the actual dudes, they're also ridiculous people. So, I mean, you know what I mean? I feel like they were really trying to channel the behaviors of those actual people that they were basing the characters on. You know what I mean? I appreciate that read on it. At any angle, but I'm just saying they, I I could see where the acting came from, like what they were trying to do based on what the material they had seen, you know, I I get it. So, I mean, here's my question then of Midsommar of party Mm -hmm. monster. Cause you know how I say monster (laughs) of party monster. Am I saying it Mm -hmm. right? And then of Parasite, which is the best of the three. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be Parasite, but okay, okay. obviously. I got gotcha. so, you. I know, thought you were going to go know, party that, monster for a minute. I, <laughs> I think you wanted me to. I kind of did. I did. Did either did either Parasite or Midsommar cause you to go into a deep dive of Ricky Lakes and Donahue's? That's the question, too. It didn't. Now, that's an excellent point. It did not. <laughs> so, I mean, there's something to be said about my, my own uh, kind of personal research and homework following the films. Both of them were um, less intensive. They were more just like, you know, oh, checking in on some cool articles and think pieces. And I read a whole article about um, basement apartments in Korea and that whole, okay. you know, yeah. world. So, you know, I did a little dive on those ones, but I really do will admit I spent a lot more time researching Club Kids. Um, <laughs> and also the fashion was what really kept me there. I will say, I think they nailed 
the fashion. Like, as much as the acting was terrible yeah. and it was ridiculous and all of the things, um, the clothes in Party Monster were really fun. Yeah, I could see so, that. And, I mean, Culkin, look, it, Culkin threw a few street parties of his own, hence where all his money went, as I've mentioned before on the podcast. So for some reason, we've spent a, really a significant amount of time talking about Culkin on the podcast, and also I have talked before about his party days, his street party days. So, interesting. And, you know, he really doesn't have a large um, uh, film history, you know? So it's it's impressive that he's made it on here so much with only a handful of titles really yeah, it's not the deepest imdb page but but when you look no. at consistency of output <laughs> i mean who else is there um, i don't know it's a really good question well i think you've just penned a really good triple feature for folks well, okay and, is it? oh I've never seen Party Monster, oh. and I was I was a Hollywood Video employee when it came out, and remember looking at oh it on the gosh. shelf and just kind of putting it back. If you had done this at the right time, Lisa, you could have checked this out from Corey. It's very possible. Oh my gosh, that's crazy! I must have done the same thing, just sort of pondered it and then put it back, and it just never <laughs> happened. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, I somehow missed it. But you know, maybe it's for the best that I'm seeing it now, and with my my 2020 vision. Right, exactly. And then all alternate- I don't accidentally get sucked into the world of club kids because it was alluring. I was like, ooh, what fun they had. I mean, it's so cool. Spoiler alert, murder. <laughs> and actually, spoiler alert, murder in all three of these. That would be the, uh, would be the, maybe the, the thread. I mean, right? I'm not going to lie. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> watching Midsommar, um, the murder aspect did not necessarily dissuade me from thinking that the ceremony looked fun. Yeah, and in some ways, Midsommar right. is just a, a, you know, it's kind of a club kid. It's a different kind it's of club kid. Kind of club oh, you're kid. right. All they do is just take drugs the whole time, and there's a lot of really cool fashion. Okay, all right. I see the double feature there, for sure. All right, well, I'm, I feel yeah. like this has been a very successful call, and I and I think that we should <laughs> offer, I think we should offer, you know how, hey, Lisa, you know how we go to Dollywood? Like, we try to go, like, at least every other year, and we get, of course. We get Dolly Bucks. Which are, yes. you know, they're dollars with Dolly Parton's face on them that you can use like currency in Dollywood. I just yes. need you to have my back on this. You're acting like you don't know what I'm talking I'm about. I'm so there. <laughs> I'm so there because, yes, and uh, yeah, and we get, and we get um, fake butterfly tattoos. We do that as well. So Dollywood's got it all. So I want to offer a Dolly dollar to anybody who makes that triple feature happen for oh, themselves. Oh, man. Just shoot us an email and I will <laughs> send you a Dolly dollar, which, by the way, you can then sell on eBay for $5. So you have to do the work. I know, that's the thing. I would never want to actually spend them. I mean, they're, they're, they're too precious. They are very precious. But if you want to do the work, you can make that Dolly Buck a $5 venture for this triple feature. So it's a lot of work okay. we're asking. But that's a yeah. good, yeah, someone out there. Someone out there. Someone out there somewhere in the world. So thank you for bringing us that triple feature. And I will call you later. Okay, cool. All right, bye, Lisa. Bye. Bye. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders III to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Today I'm going to talk about Bernie. Directed by Richard Linklater, the LA Times called it the most underappreciated film of 2012. The idea for the movie came from a 1998 Texas Monthly article written by Skip Hollinsworth called Midnight in the Garden of East Texas. The article told the real-life story of a murder that happened in the small town of Carthage, Texas in 1997. Marjorie Nugent, an 81-year rich widow considered the meanest woman in town, had been shot in the back by her young companion, Bernie Teed. 
an assistant funeral home director who was considered the nicest man in town. They're portrayed in the movie by Shirley MacLaine and Jack Black. What attracted Linklater to the story is that when Bernie Teed confessed to killing Marjorie Nugent, no one in Carthage seemed to mind. In fact, nine months passed after the murder before anyone even began looking for her. Support for Bernie was so strong that the district attorney requested a change of venue to find an impartial jury, and in a rare event for Texas, his request was approved. To enrich the narrative, Linklater decided to tap into the news network common to small towns, gossip. Residents of Carthage who knew the real Bernie and Marjorie appear in the film providing commentary on the events. Hollingsworth noted that it was remarkable doing a screenplay where you didn't really have to invent any lines. The challenge Linklater faced was using townspeople and reminding them to be themselves and not overact for the camera. Kay McConaughey, Matthew McConaughey's mother, makes a cameo in the film as one of the residents of the town. Matthew himself appears in the film as District Attorney Danny Buck Davidson, the prosecutor at Bernie's trial. Danny Buck was known for his colorful antics. One of his most successful tactics appears in the movie to catch fathers who were skipping out on child support. He secretly invited them to a hands-on-a-hard-body contest in which the last person touching a new truck wins it. Linklater appears in the scene as deadbeat dad number five. He's the one wearing a red shirt who attempts to run when the police arrive. Jack Black visited Bernie Teed in prison several times to prepare for the role. When he asked Bernie why he didn't leave Marjorie if she was so difficult to live with, Bernie said that he couldn't because he was Marjorie's only friend. He was all she had. Black speculated that Bernie's state of mind was similar to that of a battered spouse. After seeing the movie, Austin-based attorney Jody Cole met with Linklater and began work on a habeas corpus petition in the case, raising issues not addressed in the previous direct appeal. As a result, in 2014, Bernie was released on a $10,000 bond with the unusual stipulation that he had to live at director Linklater's home in Austin until his new trial. Nugent's family expressed shock that the release was granted, citing the influence of the film's depiction of Teed in the form of a cuddly character actor, played by Jack Black, instead of his true nature as a killer. In 2016, after a new trial in Henderson, Texas, Bernie Teed was returned to prison. For his portrayal of Bernie, Jack Black received the highest accolades of his career. Richard Linklater scored a box office success, with the movie earning much more than its $5 million budget and Matthew McConaughey had the chance to work with his real mother, Kay, and was reunited with actress Margaret Bowman, who plays Marjorie's sister, and had portrayed his mother in a reenactment on a 1992 episode of Unsolved Mysteries. So, Corey, you know what was really cool at the festival this year? Because we have so many folks in town. Guess what we did? We did a bunch of interviews for this podcast. Yeah, and so they're, you know, they're dated, but hey, so is, uh, so is the podcast a bit. So it's okay. <laughs> but these, these were gathered at the festival, and we're super proud and super happy to have them and, and very thankful for, for the folks who jumped in and did interviews and were interviewed. And so this is one of them. I'm Melody Sisk. I'm a film producer. I live in Atlanta. I was in Birmingham, Alabama for many years, and I'm a big, huge fan of the Sidewalk Film Festival and the Side Talks oh. podcast. Creative Director Rachel Morgan asked if I would pull a couple filmmakers from the VIP lounge and give them a little taste of what your film is and Amazing. sort of why you're here and what brought you to Birmingham this year. So why don't you introduce cool. yourself? So my name is Kenny Gillespie, and I'm a filmmaker. I have a short in the Shouts Shorts block, which I'm excited about, which is playing tomorrow morning. What's the name of your um, film? It's called Jeremiah. 
So it's a 10 minute short horror drama I directed last year, I believe last year. Or no, two years ago, yeah. Two yeah. years ago, all right. <laughs> it's like trying to think about it. Oh, takes a while to get these things made. <laughs> yeah, but it's a personal short and I'm really happy it's playing here. Awesome. Yeah. Have you ever been to the festival before? No, it's my first time. This is actually my first time in the South, well, like the deep South. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm, I live in Texas. I'm an Austin filmmaker. Yeah. Um, we like to differentiate Texas from the South. I feel like reason, Texas, I, <laughs> I feel like Texas is, I don't know why, but I feel like it is its own unique entity, right? Like yeah. it's so different. Even just driving here, I drove from Austin to Birmingham. It was like the other states feel so different to me. So gosh, how long is that drive? Yeah, 12 hours. Whoa. I know. So I listen to a lot of podcasts and music <laughs> and just tried to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, on your drive back now, you can listen to the Side Talks podcast that Battle Studios there you go. produces. How do I do that? Um, it's on iTunes as well as I think Stitcher oh, no and uh, yeah, okay. and uh, SoundCloud and all those. So great I can places. find it easily. Great. I Wonderful. listen to it when I go for a run all the time. I like to hear Rachel's voice in my head as much as Amazing. possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to that on the drive back on the yeah. 12 hour drive. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about your film. So it's a story that was inspired by this moment in my life in college when I came out to somebody for the first time in person and I had a panic attack, like a legit panic attack. And so I wanted to try and capture that emotion. Like how do you capture that experience of like all this repression that you keep deep down inside like of your belly for all these years and just like let it all loose you know in this one moment so I was like how am I going to do this and so I th figured you know like it'd be interesting to me if I was able to capture that in very internal emotion by an external character that follows around the lead so that's kind of what happens oh, cool. the lead character he's a football player he's not very good but he's being followed around by this creature this like monster and it's like him trying to deal with that and also his attraction to this other character in the story. So, Who are your actors? Yeah. So one of them is named Alan Trong. He lives in L.A. Wonderful actor. Like the best thing about the film. Just so amazing to work with and has such heart. And the other actor is Josh Kim. Awesome. And he lives in New York City. So, yeah. so you live in New York City or do you live in L.A.? I live in Austin. Oh, and you live in Austin. Yeah. So sorry, you did just mention yeah, you drove all the way in were, Austin. <laughs> Maybe, no. they, I don't know, you could have been shooting I mean, something could, there. And. Yeah, I'm a student, I'm, in, I'm a face student at, at UT too as well. So like we, we were casting and they were both living in Austin at the time. Um, and they just recently moved to, like Alan just moved to LA like last year. Same thing with Josh. He just moved to New York. So Is this your first lucky. film as a filmmaker? This is my first narrative film. Yeah. So you worked in documentary before then? Um, Since you one, yeah, I did yeah. one documentary. That's it too. So I'm a new, I'm a newish filmmaker, and so this is well, congratulations. I'm excited that's to be here. Cool. Yeah, this yeah. is a really special festival. Shouts! I can tell. I'm having special. a lot, a lot of fun. Great. And doing podcasts as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Um, do you have any? upcoming screenings or additional festivals that you know that you're playing so you can tell people to go out and find I your, your do. Um, I'm playing, let's see, in Taiwan next month. Wow. And an international queer festival in Oslo, a, a queer festival there. Playing in Russia, like, randomly next week at a theater there in Moscow and Nashville Film Festival. So you got 
a lot of different ones I'm going to. Nashville's yeah. in the region, so maybe the you that never know. Could, it's I possible could this possibly, podcast could get to Oslo. We don't know. It's I don't okay. know. It's, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I'm excited that it, like it's getting seen by a lot of people and yeah. people are responding to it. So yeah, that's exciting. awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, so you for coming and stepping in and chatting with us. Of course. Thank you so much. All right. And now fast film terms. So guess what it's time for, Corey? It's time for fast film terms. That's right. You already did it. You did all the hard work and said it really fast. So. Well, I need some film terms, but I need them quickly. I so I'm hurrying. I'm hurrying. I'm right, hurrying. Come on. What's a day player? Uh, it's a person who shows up as an extra only for a day, or do they? Or is it, it not an extra? It doesn't have to be an extra. It could be a crew member. They have a speaking member. line, or it could be a crew member. Somebody shows so up for a limited the, amount of yeah. time. They're not there for necessarily the whole production, right? Yeah. So a day player, I mean, as it suggests, might be there for a day, but it also could be somebody who's just on crew, jumping on crew for a few days. Oh, huh, gotcha. There you go. Day player. See how fast that was? That was so fast. Thank you very much. What's this shit? Right out of the gate with it. <laughs> every time. Every time. I mean, it gets my attention. I saw you gripping your chair this time. Ooh, you were ready. I you were ready. on for dear life. You were ready. Okay, so here we go. Okay. I'm in the cinema. All right. I'm on the tread. Uh-huh. Um, I am irritated as I always am at the at the gym. I'm actually not in the. About I, I think I said cinema. I cinema. am in the cardio cinema sure. at the gym. Um, I'm yeah. I'm irritated about exercise. I'm irritated by all the heads that are around me. Uh-huh. I'm irritated by you know the people who are like lifting weights and farting. Anyway, it's annoying to be at the gym. But yeah. I'm there. I'm trying to be healthy. I'm on the tread, and I look up on the screen, and there's Jamie Foxx wearing some Dahmers. So you may already know what this is. He's wearing Jeffrey Dahmer glasses. Yeah, he's I in know a what this he's is. in a cab. Okay, so you're calling it right now. You knew from from Jamie Foxx and Dahmer glasses, but I'm going to stop you there because I feel like we need a little like some sort of a you know musical note right here. I don't know what like something very dramatic, something very fun, um, because there he is, Thomas fucking Cruise. And he's got on, he's got like a suit, I think. And mm-hmm. he's, he has he's got gray he, hair. Oh, beautiful silver daddy hair. Yeah. So anyway, what film is this? This is Collateral. Yeah. The Michael Mann movie from 2004. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> I love this movie so much. You have some just beautiful early digital cinematography, and <laughs> Michael Mann action, um, one of Tom Cruise's best roles. You got some Mark Ruffalo in there. You got some Javier Bardem in there. You even get a Jason Statham cameo. Oh, and Jada God. Pinkett Smith shows up and she's great. And the movie is just from start to finish terrific. You I'm, did not need to go on. I we did already had them at Thomas Cruise Michael with Silver Daddy Mann. Hair. Michael Mann. That's that's the headline. Thomas Cruise with Silver Daddy Hair <laughs> is a subhead <laughs> to the headline being Michael Mann made a movie and you should <laughs> You should watch it. Well, there you go. I'm going to call it. You had it. And you had it with basically the words Jamie Foxx, Dahmer glasses, and cab. Yeah. That's that's all I needed. Fair. I mean, that was a good job. It's a great movie. Well, thank you so much for listening to Side Talks. I t- every single time I do this, I get country at the end. I get like, hey, thank you. Thank What's y'all for listening. We're um, personal cinematic Chandler and Joey. Sure am glad you got Wi-Fi down in the holler now. <laughs> I need you to know that I so much don't watch Friends that I had to look that one up. Chandler and Joey? <laughs> yeah, which is actually, from what I could tell, maybe kind of accurate. I, anyway. <laughs> sure. I, I, I have a confession. I, don't, I have never watch that show <laughs> never once. oh boy well you know what totally fine with it yeah i'm not i mean this is what i actually have some respect for you for that because i think it's just a 
about I don't know. Let me stop there. I've already made everybody hate me because of little Timmy, so I don't want to get any more hate. You, you want to go over that, that just, uh, argument again, over. real quick? Uh, no, Chandler and Joey here, and we're out of here. And we thank Batwall Studios, and we thank Splash ninety six. And check us out on social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. In- interact with us on social media, please. We're lonely, or I am. Um, bye. Yeah. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.